Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As I mentioned last week, we celebrated Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which gives us hope of life eternal. And verse number three of the passage that we just read gives us an interesting definition of life eternal, how Jesus thinks about eternal life. He says in verse number three, and this is life eternal. Well, what is life eternal? This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God. See, God does not just desire that we labor for him, that we give our tithes for him, that we attend church services for him. God desires that we might know him. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 23 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. What an interesting passage. God says, don't let the wise man glory in how wise he is, how smart he is, how intellectual he is. Don't let the strong man glory in his strength. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. But if anybody will glory in this life, let him glory in this, that he knows God. What a wonderful truth that we can know God, and God desires that we would know God. Hosea chapter 6 says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And he says, And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He says, You know what? I want more than your sacrifices, more than I want your offerings. I want you to know me. That is God's desire. But this is no easy task, for knowing about someone is not the same as knowing someone. One can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. See, there's a lot of people out there in the world that know a lot of things about God. They know that there is a God. They might know that God gave us the Bible. They might know that God created the universe in six days. They might know that God called Abraham. They might know about David. They might know about Jesus Christ. They might know about the cross. They might know about the church. They might know about some of the teachings. You might know a lot of these things without actually knowing God. You might even spend a lot of time with someone and still conclude at the end of the time that you spent with this individual, I don't really know him that well. We might know someone well. We might know someone not very well. In fact, how many times have we spent time with somebody that we thought that we knew really well, and then something comes out of the conversation that makes us think, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you did that. I didn't know that you had that experience. I didn't know that you thought that way. I, I didn't know that you had those feelings. I didn't, I didn't know those things. How often can we say that about somebody that we think we know really well, and yet there are still aspects of their lives and who they are that, that we don't know? John chapter 10, verse number 14 says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
This morning, I want to ask the question, do you know God? It's a different question from, do you know about God? Because I'm sure every one of us will be able to answer the question, yes, I know about God. You might know a lot of things about God. You might know some of his character traits. You might know some of the things that he does. You might know some of the things that he says. But that's not the point. The point is, do we know God? I've had conversations with people in our church about, you know, our Bible reading and things that we've read in the Bible and, and, and how many times we would read a passage and we would read the Bible, we would read a section that we've read dozens of times before and for whatever reason, suddenly this time we read it and we notice something new. We notice something different. And, and, and I believe that God gives us his word, but there are times when God chooses to reveal a little bit more of himself through his word to his children. That we might have read something before, we might have seen something before, we might have, you know, kind of acknowledged something before, but for whatever reason, God really reveals himself in a new and fresh and different way, in a deeper kind of a way. And, and there's something special about that moment when you realize this is not just a book, but I'm getting to know God. And God has chosen to reveal himself to me. And that is what God desires. And, and we can't always pick and choose when God will show himself to us in that way. But we can put ourselves in the position to be where God could show us some of these things. And so this morning, I want to take a look at five aspects of knowing God. The first of which is the constancy in knowing God. The constancy in knowing God. To understand the context of chapter number 17, we have to back up a couple of chapters. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to begin to describe what happens in chapter number 13 all the way through to the chapter that we're looking at this morning. Chapter number 13 begins by telling us that he is going to participate in Passover. They are at the feast of the, fa uh, uh, at the, feast of the Passover, and Jesus knew that his hour was come, and, and it begins this discourse. It, it, it is in these chapters that we have a number of events that, if you're familiar with your Bible, you will know some of these events that Jesus did and some of the teachings that he said. It is during this time that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. It is during this time that Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And all of the disciples said, is, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And, and, and Judas said, is it me? And he said, thou hast said. And he said, it is the one that I dip the, 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 in the sop and give it to. And he gave it to Judas. And he says, that thou doest, do quickly. Judas leaves. It is during this time that that happens. It is at this time that Jesus tells the disciples that he will die. And Peter said, I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus says, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. It was during this time that he said that. It is during this time that all of these things happen. And, and then he begins to get into some deeper teaching with the disciples. And, and just to pick out some of the verses that appear in chapter 14 and chapter 15, it is in these chapters that he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a wonderful truth to know that while Jesus rose again and he went up to heaven, he's going to come back again. And he's going to come back for us. Verse number six says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse number 13 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. 
and that the Father might be glorified in the Son, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. It is in this time when Jesus is in the upper room that he teaches all of these things, all of these truths. And, and that, that begins in chapter number 13, 13, 14, 15, and 16. He's with the disciples. He's interacting with them. He's teaching them. In chapter number 17, it says, these respect Jesus and lift his eyes up to heaven. So in chapter number 17, he prays, God the Son prays to God the Father. But then in verse, uh, chapter number 18, verse number 1, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where it was a garden, unto the which he entered and his disciples. So this entire period from chapter 13 through chapter 18, Jesus is with his disciples. In the middle of being with his disciples, God the Son spends some time to speak with God the Father. There are times when Jesus prayed in private, but here Jesus is praying in public. He's praying amidst all of the disciples. And that tells us that his relationship with God the Father was constant and present in every moment. Because our relationship with God, if you are saved, if you are born again into the family of God, your relationship with God is constant and never stops. When you leave the property this morning and you go home, you don't leave God behind. He goes with you. Matthew chapter 28, he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So God is with you all the time. That's a big aspect of the relationship with God, that, that he is always with you. And when you have a relationship with someone and he's there with you, what do you do? You talk with them. You engage with them. You interact with them. You, you, you share things with them. You might even be on your phone, but you see something and what do you do? You share it with the person. Hey, take a look at this. This is really funny. Hey, have you ever thought, have you seen this before? You might interact with them. You might ask them some questions. You, you talk to them. And for us as children of God, those of us that are saved, when we leave, we don't leave God behind. He goes with us. He is with you on Monday when you go to work. He's with you on Tuesday if you're a student and you go to school. He is with you on Wednesday when you put your head on your pillow and you go to sleep. He's with you on Thursday when you have dinner with your family. He's with you on Friday when you go out with your friends. He is with you every single day. And how strange would it be to have somebody with you for six days in a row and never talk to them? That would be unusual, wouldn't it? You have somebody following you for six days in a row. You don't talk to them. You don't acknowledge them. You don't think about them. You ignore them. You would think that that would be very odd. And how strange would it be then for the seventh day to wake up and be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you would be like, wait a second. That's a little strange. Why did you ignore me for six days and suddenly on the seventh day, hey, it's good to see you. You'd be like, that's a little strange. That's not a normal relationship, right? Whenever you're there, you would talk with them. You would acknowledge them. You don't always have to say anything, but you would acknowledge that they were there. 
uh, when I moved here about five, six years ago, uh, we drove across the country. And uh, me and my wife, and we had one daughter at the time, we drove across the country. And uh, if you drive across the country, it's a long drive. And uh, there were moments at the beginning where we would talk about, oh, we're going to go to California, we've got a new church and a new ministry, we would talk about things like that. After a while, though, you kind of run out of things to say, so we just kind of sat there, just kind of looked out the window, didn't really say anything, and and it's not that every moment, we said, it's not like for 40 hours while we were driving, we, we talked 40 hours every single minute, we filled it with conversation all the time, but we were always aware of the presence of the person next to us. And we might see something and, and, and say, hey, did you see that? Or we might do some of those kinds of things. Sometimes, you know, the person who was driving would drive and the person next to him would take a nap, sleep a little bit or whatever. We had a kid also. And so my wife would sometimes go back there and take care of her. But, but the point is that having communion with God and having that relationship with God acknowledges that it is constant. And your relationship with God continues past the walls that we, uh, of the walls of this church, and it goes into every single day and into every single aspect of our lives. And what a joy it is to know that God is always there. If you ever want to talk to God, He is there. You ever want to share something with God, He is there. You ever want to get a word from God, you can just open up the Bible wherever you are, get a word from God. If you ever want to do something with God, He is there. What a wonderful truth to know that there is constancy in knowing God. The second aspect is the closeness in knowing God. You notice the closeness of the relationship with God the Son, Jesus, with God the Father. Verse number one says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The very first word of Jesus' prayer here is the word Father. He calls God the Father, Father. Now, there's a number of different names for God in the Bible. You have names, Jehovah, Elohim, El Shaddai. could have used any of these names. He could have just said God. But of all the names he could have chosen or could have used, he chose God. Father. That name, Father, indicates the closeness of the relationship that God the Son had with God the Father. There were times when Jesus did not call God the Father, Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He used a different name there. Here, he chose the name Father, which indicates the closeness of that relationship. Now, I have a number of different names or titles or uh, nicknames that people could call me. I have my name, Richard. Call me Richard. I have my last name, Kim. Some people, especially if they don't know me very well, might call me Mr. Kim, right? So I have those names. I have my relationship with some people that I have, especially my family members. I have the name or title of husband to my wife. I have the title or name of dad, my kids. They don't call me Richard, (laughs) Richard. You know, they call me dad, right? That indicates their relationship with me. I have other names and titles that some of you might call me. Some of you might call me pastor, right? That indicates that relationship that I have with you. I have that title, I have that name, if you will. Some of you might call me by my relationship with 
other Christians. You might call me brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, brother, it's good to see you. You might call me brother. My wife might call me uh, honey. She might call me honey, right? Okay. Each of these names indicates a different aspect of my relationship, either with that person or with somebody else, right? And it is that name or title that often indicates the closeness of that relationship. When I go home, my wife doesn't call me pastor. <laughs> she doesn't call me Mr. Kim, <laughs> right? When she doesn't say, pastor, could you please set the table? She doesn't say that. <laughs> she doesn't say, pastor, would you like to eat? She doesn't call me that. Now, that is one of my names. That is my title. Some people call me that. But my wife doesn't call me that. Sometimes she might call me that when I'm in public or things like that. She might call me dad in terms of my relationship with my kids. Sometimes my kids are there. And so, you know, when we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, sometimes she'll say, dad, what do you think, dad? What should we do here? And so that name indicates the closeness. He expressed that closeness in that relationship by using the name father. And the blessing of knowing God is not just to know that God is always there. It is the closeness of the relationship with God that makes that constant presence of God a blessing. Because you can be close to someone without being close to them. When I graduated college, I took a trip and I had saved up some money and I, I, I went overseas, I went to Europe and I spent a little bit of time there. And uh, I went to the city of Rome, and in the city of Rome is this fairly famous place called the Spanish Steps. If you've ever been to Rome, you might have heard about it or seen it. And it's this very kind of one of the big tourist places that you go. It's this huge, magnificent staircase that goes up, and at the very top is, you know, one of those churches that's up there at the top. There's a little fountain at the bottom. There's a little square. And uh, I, I wanted to see this place, so I went over there, and it was just, you know, it was beautiful, this massively wide staircase. I don't know, it must have been, you know, like 100 feet wide in some places. And there are people from all over. You get tourists, of course. So there are a number of tourists there, and you could tell the tourists right away, right? They dress kind of funny. They got, you know, Rome or Italy shirts, you know, and things like that. And, and they got cameras, and they got, you know, the things, you know? So you could kind of spot them out right away. But it's interesting. You could kind of see some locals also there, you know? You would just see some average people. They would be sitting there on the steps reading newspapers, back when people read newspapers, you know? You'd they were reading newspapers or eating their lunch. You know, you could see people, as soon as they were done, they would leave. And I, I thought it was fascinating. You know, I would just sit there and just kind of look around and see all the people from here, from other places, all around the world, all coming to the same place. And it was very interesting. At the bottom of those steps is a fairly famous uh, shopping district. And it's one of those districts where all of the high-end luxury brands, all of them are there, right? You think about Gucci, you think about Louis Vuitton, you think about Ferragamo, you think about all of, all of them. They're all there. And there's this huge street that just goes, if you walk down the steps, there's a street right in front of you, and it just goes and goes and goes. And uh, I had no interest in buying anything, but I was curious. I was like, this, this is going to be an interesting place. So I walked by, and there was a jewelry store for one of these brands. And I was like, I didn't even know that they sold jewelry. And so I was curious. So I walked inside the store. And the store is differently laid out than any other store that I'd ever really been into. Because usually you walk into a store, and it's a store, right? But you walk into this store, it looks like you're walking into somebody's house. It's not this big open area. There's like kind of a long corridor that was going all the way down the middle. And on either side were these little rooms. 
And these rooms were kind of set up like people's homes, you know? They were painted like somebody lived there, and they had the chair rail, you know, and the, you know, the molding, all of that stuff that, you know, you might see in somebody's house. And there were, you know, display cases, usually in the middle of the room. And the room wasn't big. It might have been, I don't know, 12 or 15 feet by 12, 15 feet. You know, not a huge room, just enough room for a little display case, and you could kind of walk around. There might be some things on the wall and things like that. And so each of the rooms had, like, like, you know, you had this big display case that might be the size of this, you know, the top of this pulpit area, and you would have like two items inside, you know? And, and part of my curiosity was, I want to know how expensive these things are. And I went and I looked in the display case and I was like, oh, they don't have price tags. Wow, that means very expensive, right? If you have to ask, you can't afford it, right? So I didn't want to ask. I didn't want it to be known that I couldn't afford it. So I just kind of was like, oh, it's out of, I, I can't afford that. No matter how much it is, I can't afford that. And so, you know, but I was kind of curious. So I walked room to room. One of the things that I noticed, though, is as soon as you walk into the store, there is a salesperson that follows you. So I walked in and there was a lady that came up and said, hello, or I don't know exactly what she said. I'm assuming she said hello. And uh, I said, oh, hello. And, uh, you know, I'm not used to this. So I was like, oh, she's just greeting me. And I walked into the first room and I noticed that she followed me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a little strange, you know, but I kind of looked around and then I walked back into the hallway. I walked into the second room and she kept following me. And into the third room, she kept following me. And by the third room, I'm feeling very uncomfortable, right? I think what she was doing is, if you're in one of these stores, you want to have, you want to have somebody ready to answer any questions. Hey, can I take a look at this? Yes, of course, you know, you could take. In my mind, though, I was thinking, is this person stalking me? Is this person thinking I'm going to steal something? You know, I'm wearing tennis shoes and shorts and a t-shirt, walking into this high-end luxury store. I, I, I really didn't know. But it's about that second or third room that I began to feel more and more and be very aware of how uncomfortable I felt. And so I just left the store. <laughs> I just walked out. I didn't even bother seeing the rest of the store. Now, there was somebody close to me, but because we were not close, instead of being a blessing, it was uncomfortable. I, I, I wanted to get away. I, I wanted some separation. I wanted to be apart. And when you have that situation, you can sometimes feel that. You ever been on an airplane? You know, fly across the country five, six hours, maybe you fly overseas 10 hours, you know? You sit next to somebody and like they don't want to talk to you or whatever. It's a very uncomfortable sitting there 10 hours in a row with this person that, you know, you, you're fighting over the art, you know, chair, you know, armrest or whatever and things like that. You know, they get up and you take it back, you know? And, you know, you, you, you have all of these things. And, and, you know, when you're sitting there, it can be a little uncomfortable after a while. That's why a lot of people, they try to strike up a conversation because if at least you know the person a little bit, right? makes it a little bit more comfortable. You feel a little bit better. I feel like I know this person at least a little bit. I know where they're from. I know where they're going. I know what they do. I know a little bit about that person. The joy of the relationship that we have with God is not just that he is constantly with you, but that you have a close relationship with God. And when you have a close relationship with God, being with that person for long periods of time is not uncomfortable, it's a joy. Going back to when I drove across the country with my wife, it was not a burden to have my wife there, it was a joy. 
I was like, if I could have anybody in the car with me driving across the country, I want it to be her. We might not even talk about some things. We might not even say anything for hours at a time, but just knowing that she is there made me feel better. It made me feel better. It made me feel better when she was sitting there as opposed to when she was sitting somewhere else. She was still there, but I, I felt better knowing that she was there. Long car rides are better when I'm with my wife than when I have to drive by myself. Sometimes I do have to drive long periods, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Sometimes I drive these long distances and I have to go somewhere, meet somebody, do, you know, go for a meeting or whatever. So I drive these long distances. I wish I had somebody with me and I wish that my wife were there. The constant presence of God is joyful when you are close to him. And when you are close to God, you desire to be with him. Amen? We don't seek to escape from God. It's like, oh, it's a duty. I got to spend time with God. When you're close to God, you're like, I get to spend time with God. I want to spend more time with God. I want to seek out places where I can interact with God and have a conversation with God and think about God and do things with God and all of these things. That's part of the relationship of knowing God and the joy of the Christian life. See, if your uh, understanding of Christian life is, oh, I got to put in my duty and show up at church or give some money in the offering plate, you're totally missing the joy of the Christian life of knowing God and being able to know him each and every day. That's what God desires for all of us. Not just to know that he's always there, but to know that we could know him. And as we know him, think, wow, this God is spending time with me and I want to get to know him more and I want to spend time with him. And just even if I spend a lot of hours with him and just get one little truth of getting to know him a little bit more, it'll be worth it. The joy of knowing God. Thirdly, we see the commonality in knowing God. You'll notice the unity of God the Son with God the Father. And this unity is evidenced in the times Jesus uses the word one. In verse number 11, you have your Bibles there, John chapter 17, verse number 11, he says at the end of the verse that they may be one as we are, as we are one. Verse number 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Verse 22, at the end of that verse, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, verse number 23, that they may be made perfect in one. You'll notice the unity or commonality that God the Son had with God the Father. Because the more time you spend with God and the more you know God, the more in common you will have with God. The more you will be like God. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him. Do you know God? Do you know that you know God? That's what he's saying. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Because knowing God changes us. And knowing God changes us to be like God. In that, his words will be our words. His thoughts will be our thoughts. His ways will become our ways. And his walk will become our walk. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. When we spend time with God and we have a clear view of God and know him better, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, I, I have a lot of friends that got married in their early 20s. They got married in their, you know, 21, 22, 23. They got married early and they started having kids. And uh, part of that, you know, being able to have friends who are like that is you get to see their little kids grow up to be older kids. And so I have a lot of friends who their kids are now teenagers. And uh, when you see a newborn, you know, one of the fun things about every newborn, you know, you know, I have friends where, you know, I know the mom, I know the dad. And I, I look at the kid and I think, okay, does this kid look like mom or dad, right? And you're looking, you're like, okay, the eyes or the nose, you know, oh, I see the nose, the nose looks just like yours. You know, there's kind of a fun little thing. But even with my own kids, sometimes I look at them as newborns and I think, do you look like me? <laughs> or do you look like her? There's some similarities there, but, you know, it's, it, it's sometimes on a day-to-day -day basis, it goes back and forth. So I think, ah, oh, I think maybe you look more like mom or maybe you look more like me. And I thought that about my friends' little kids when they were little, little, little kids. Now that they are older kids, I can see very clearly, ah, you look just like your dad. See, I can see it. It's exact, you look exactly the same. And then their voice changes, and then their voice sounds just like their dad's voice, right? You know, I, I, we used to, yeah, back in the day, we used to have a home telephone number, right? And you would call, and you didn't know who was going to answer, right? Sometimes it'd be the dad, sometimes it'd be the mom, sometimes it'd be the kids, you know? And sometimes you would, somebody would answer the phone, hello? Oh, hey, you know, John. Oh, this isn't John, this is Bill, his son. Bill, whoa, you know? Oh, you sound just like your dad. Can I talk to your dad? Yeah, yeah, he'll be here in just a second. Yeah, whoa, your son sounds just like you. When they're little, you can see some resemblance. You might be able to pick out, you know, oh, I can see some similarities there. But as they grow older and older and more mature, you begin to see, wow, you really look, you look exactly the same. Wow, I can see all of this. You look just like your dad, or you look just like your mom, or you look, you look exactly the same. I can see it exactly. The eyes, those are the exact same eyes. You can, you can see it as they get older and as they mature, they begin to look more and more like their parents. God uses the illustration that when you get saved, you are born again. You're a little spiritual infant child when you get saved. When you get saved, you, have a, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But as with all little children, there are some similarities, but sometimes they can be hard to find. 
little children don't always act the way that they ought to act. Christians that are new in the faith, they might not always do what they're supposed to do. But as they mature, as they grow in the Lord, and as they get older, stronger, spiritually more secure, what happens is they begin to look more and more like their father. They, give, they begin to look more and more like God. Nearness is likeness. I heard that so many times in Bible college. Nearness is likeness. That's why you should be careful who you expose yourself to. We can't always control all of the environments that we live in. But the longer that those things are there, it can be a temptation to us. We begin to be more like some of those things. Sometimes people wonder, why do you have a Sunday morning service? Then you have Life Connection Bible study classes. Then you have an evening service that is different from the morning service. And then we have a Wednesday night service. And then sometimes we have extra meetings on top of that. We have revival services. We have, you know, marriage banquets. We have all sorts of different things. Why do we have so many of those different things? Because we're trying to get regular exposure to God. Amen? Okay? Regular exposure to God. So that we might open up the Word of God and be in the presence of God. Now, of course, you can do that at your home. You can do that when you're driving. You can do that wherever you are. That's a part of the relationship of God. But we want to have things in common, so we come together. And really, when you read some of the verses that I, uh, that I mentioned earlier, when I talked about Jesus used the word one, you'll notice that Jesus uses that word one, not just in his relationship with God, that we are one. What he says is that, your people will be one even as we are one. That's what he says in verse number 11, that they may be one. The disciples would be one even as God the Father and God the Son are one. Verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Verse 22 and verse 23, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. You know what God is trying to say? What God is trying to say is, when you become more like me, my people become your people. And your people are God's people. My people, the people that I associate with, the people who are, I am most like, the people that I most enjoy spending time with, the people that think most like me are God's people. Amen? That's what it means. What God says is, I want you to enjoy and know the relationship of God, and not only that, to have things in common with God, so that we might have things in common with each other. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we have the same mind as Christ? Do we have the same goals as Christ? Do we have the same priorities as Christ? Do we have the same words as Christ? Do we have the same interests as Christ? Do we have the same people as Christ? You see that in that relationship with God, in that communion, in knowing God, there's a commonality. Fourthly, we see the communication in knowing God. A big part of relationships is communication. In fact, it is one of the biggest joys of the relationship. People who love one another, they look for ways to communicate. They share things that they're talking about, looking at, and they talk about what's going on around them. So much so, in fact, that not talking 
is a sign of a bad relationship, right? When you text somebody and they don't text you back, that's an indication this relationship is not close. Amen? When you talk to somebody in person and they don't respond back to you, that's an indication. Is there something? Are we okay here? Is there something wrong? Did I, did I do something? Did I say something? Right? Not communicating is an indicator that relationship is not close. That relationship is not good. When you don't respond to a text, when you don't call, when you don't talk about a problem, a lack of communication is a bad thing. The opposite of which is when you're in a good relationship, you love talking. You initiate contact. You initiate relationship. And in knowing God and in having relationships with God, we get to initiate that conversation we have with God. It's interesting. In Exodus chapter 33, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Think about the relationship that you have with your closest friend. How you contact them, you text them, or they text you back, you call them, they call you back, you interact with them, you reach out to them. You have those uh, things that you have in common that you talk about. God talked to Moses as he talked to a friend. That was the relationship that they had in speaking, in listening, in doing, in all of these areas and aspects of this communication relationship. Moses talked to God like he talked to a friend. And God talked to Moses like he talked to a friend. They had that relationship of communication with each other. Can I ask you, when you talk to God, do you talk to him like a friend? When you pray to God, do you open yourself up to God like you open yourself up to a friend? When you read your Bible, do you feel like God is opening up himself to you? He's sharing with you? Do you feel like I read this book and I don't really know what's going on? Or do you feel like, wow, God's really showing me something? God's really telling me something. Do you have that communication in knowing God? Fifthly and lastly, in this communion with knowing God, in verse number 26, we see the charity or love in knowing God. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. See, there is a love that God wants you to experience. And God loves you. But there is something about fully experiencing the love of God. We're here in John chapter number 17. Of course, the author of the book of John is John. He wrote other parts of the Bible that are entitled 1st John, 2nd <laughs> John, 3rd John, 1st John. It's the first letter, epistle that we have from John. It's interesting because I think when you read the book of 1st John, you could see, wow, he really deepened his relationship with God. When you read 1 John, you have no other conclusion other than he must have known God. John, he knew God. He didn't just know about God. He knew him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth or he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 
In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. When you read that, don't you get the sense of like, uh, John, he really knew God. He really knew the love of God. And when you read this, you can see that he's trying to describe that knowledge that he had with God, that love that he got from God, and he's trying to give it to you. He's trying to give it to us. And when we read that, we think, wow, God really, he really knew God, and he knew the love of God, and he experienced all of those things. And what he's saying is, that same experience, I want you to have as well. I want you to know God like I know God. And I want you to experience the love of God like I've experienced the love of God. And he's saying, if you do these things, you can grow in your relationship with God and know God, not just know about God, but have that deep communion with God the Father. See, when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he went back to heaven. When he went back to heaven, though, he sent us the Holy Spirit. He sent us the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit living with us each and every day. And God did not just say, all right, you're saved. All right, you're done. All right, I'll see you in heaven when you get there. <laughs> he said, I want you to grow in that relationship with me. See, salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. Easter Sunday was not the end. Easter Sunday is just the beginning. It's just the very beginning of that relationship that you can have with God. So again, we get back to the question, do you know God? Do you know it? Not just do you know about God. I'm sure we all know about God. But do you know him? Do you know God as your father? 